Hey, thanks so much for joining us here on a Third Way podcast. So excited to dive into this conversation uh, with a longtime friend and former colleague, Abby Smith. Um, interesting to dive into someone and talk about their sort of journey of deconstruction. We unpack yeah. what that word means a little bit and tell uh, some stories. Tell some stories. Yeah. And I hope if you're listening to this, whether you're uh, a faith leader, uh, perhaps you're a part of a church, maybe you're somebody who has walked away from the faith and is in that process of sort of taking apart parts of what you were handed down in your faith tradition. I hope you walk away from this conversation with um, some some hope and some encouragement, uh, maybe some yeah. practical handles as well as you're navigating uh, the faith tradition you were handed. Yeah, for sure. She has so much personality. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun to sit and just and just uh, be challenged myself and, you know, just reevaluate different stuff, reevaluate different stuff in my own life. And I know that's what you took away from that too. And just always evaluating our own actions, our own decisions and uh, our own walk. And that's Mm -hmm. just kind of the posture that this podcast is all about. It's just asking questions. Totally. Navigating a third way where there's not black and white cut and dry answers, but navigating multiple perspectives and ultimately searching for the pursuit of following Jesus in the midst of that. So let's listen in. Yeah. Hey friends, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of a third way podcast where we uh, engage in conversations around the gray area in the way of following Jesus. Yeah, the nuance in it, in a world of black and white and answers. We want to have healthy conversations uh, that don't really have answers. So today, uh, of course, I'm joined by Carrie because she's always here. Uh, but we're also joined by special friend Abby Smith, Hello. who is a person <laughs> who doesn't Abby. want to say her title or something. <laughs> She, um, can I say like a lifetime churchgoer, lots of... That's true. I feel like professional churcher. Professional churcher. That's a career. Total dreamer, (laughs) gatherer of people around a table, church leader, future church planter, and also creator of really moving content. So I I have seen you in several of those environments and we're so excited to learn from you today. Oh, well, that's a lot of pressure. No, we're gonna we're taking notes as we talk. Totally, <laughs> totally. Listen, every conversation we engage in, I take away new insights or a new perspective on the world. You are such a lifelong learner, and so the ways that you pay attention to what's happening in culture, the ways that you hold up the scripture, the ways that you navigate nuance—they're brilliant. So, thanks for joining is us. Is this just like I feel like this is just the podcast where you bring people in? You're like, let me just compliment you. Oh, we could, we it. could totally do that. Yeah. I mean, I have, so far, this I have more. <laughs> we just want you to feel fantastic right now. Because you are. Yes. Um, you joked when we were teeing this up <laughs> that we could introduce you um, in less than stellar light in terms of your role in the church because you've taken heat for some of the things that you have I'm sought actually, to understand. And actually, it wasn't a joke. And also, I don't actually consider it less than stellar light. I'm okay with it. I've been called a heretic many times. <laughs> And you're okay with it because of what it means that you represent? I think I'm okay with it because someone really, um, in a conference years ago, somebody said, you know, you're always going to be somebody's heretic. Mm. And that was something that really stuck with me because it's it's really true. Hmm. And so I think it kind of made me feel okay with the label because ultimately... I'm not really responsible to other people for what I believe as much as I'm responsible to the Lord. And like, if I'm submitting what I believe to the Lord and he's not convicting me on it, then 
I'm okay with other people thinking that it's quote unquote wrong or bad Mm. because I'm not responsible to them. Sure. I think um, when I hear you say that, I just think of like, there are so many things in the church that we sort of wait, like, oh, this one's a weighted topic. We have to agree on this one. And then there are so many nuanced things that we could have very different interpretations, understandings, theologies around. Um, and some of them just become more intense topics, but I love that you will wade into intense topics and try to see multiple sides and try to see multiple perspectives and then dig into before the Lord, what's true for me. What have been some of the topics that you've been (gasps) accused of heresy in? Oh, this is a genuine curiosity question. (laughs) I really want to know. I mean, Um, I mean, I have some ideas, but... (laughs) (laughs) From discussing different things with you for a couple of minutes now. You know, we've actually not been formally introduced yet, so I just feel like that was overly personal. <laughs> we've talked for like 10 minutes now. Anyway. It's true. Hi, I'm Abby. Hey, I'm John. Nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you. So the heresy. Um, you know, one of the ones that always sticks out to me, and honestly, partly is because of Carrie's husband. It was the first time that I had met Mark was part of this incident was we were I'm sorry no it's totally fine (laughs) we were part of a small group we had just moved um we were in the can I say places um sure okay we were in the Chicagoland area we had just moved um my husband had taken a job at a church we are like diehard church people I've been in church literally my whole life Hmm. um and so I'm like all right small group plugged in get her done and, and not just been to her life, like grew up in a ministry family oh, yeah. and went to Bible college. Yeah. And I'm like, I just want to add legacy. some context to, <laughs> to you. Wow. You we are, are in the presence <laughs> of a ministry legacy. Actually, one of the reasons I like it here in Kentucky is because there's a very limited amount of people that walk up to me and go, aren't you so-and-so's granddaughter, oh, niece, nephew, wow. whatever. It's very annoying. Today on a third way, we're joined by Hello. Abby Smith Ministry <laughs> Legacy. So I should have just pulled I that out long I, that, ago. That makes me sound terrible. Please edit that. What out. a treat! No, <laughs> no, no, it's beautiful. <laughs> anyway, so I I firmly believe in the church, and I have a lot of altruistic ideals about the church. I believe in small groups. I believe in community. So we jumped into a small group. And that small group, unbeknownst to us, there was just a lot of unhealth in mm-hmm. that group. <laughs> and there came a point where the leadership had shifted several times and things were getting like aggressively unhealthy in the way that things were being taught and in the dynamic in the group itself. And there came a day where the person leading taught that after Jesus had been crucified, he went to hell to fight Satan for the keys to the kingdom of heaven. It seems and like a won. pretty common thing people <clears throat> believe, though. I mean, this was I, the first for me. I'm. Oh, that's the first time that's you've the heard that. Well, when this situation happened, oh, yeah. that was the first. Oh, and like, I'm yeah. an OG church kid, so there is actually a really old Christian pop song that is like a human video of that thing. Um, was it Carmen? It I was, was just, Carmen. Yes. yes! I'm right. a legacy myself, so. <laughs> Um, so it it wasn't the first time I'd ever heard it, but you know, I don't, I don't adhere to that particular theological viewpoint. And I remember saying in the group, you know, I, I don't know, you know, can you show me where that is in the scripture? And the scripture that it's based on is highly interpretable at best. Mm. (laughs) 
pretty clear cut if you want my personal opinion. And so in the group, I honestly, just like this, was like, I definitely understand why that is something that you view. I get that interpretation. I totally think it's respectable. I don't have that interpretation for myself. So I think it's really risky to teach it black and white and say that this is exactly Mm -hmm. what it is. I think it's fine to say, this is how I interpret that, but it's not a salvation issue. So I don't, I don't feel great about telling all of these people like, this is what you have to believe about this scripture. (laughs) And the guy teaching was like, okay. And then the next day, my email inbox just exploded with emails from this person who was like, you are making a power play for the prestige and prominence of leading this small group. And I was like, I was unaware that those were words people associated with leading a small group, but okay. There's, there's a lot of prestige in, in small group leadership. <laughs> we can all be legacy. Yeah. We can. <laughs> we can. And it just, it snowballed from there. And he called me a hair. He wouldn't talk to me about it. And that email, I responded And this once. was Mark Latticer? No. Carrie's so Mark, husband. Thank yeah, you for yes, it was. <laughs> this was not my husband. So this small group leader, he, I responded and was, and again, trying to be cognizant was like, hey, so here are some, you know, some commentaries. Here's, here's, here's what Barnes has to say. Like here, here are some different people yeah. and what they might think about this. Again, I'm fine with that you believe, like it doesn't bother me that you believe this. I just don't think we can teach it point blank as yeah. the absolute truth. And he came back all caps like, I don't need you to tell me what the Bible says. And I immediately passed it off to Mark was the associate pastor at the time. I called my husband at work and was like, yeah, I'm going to need you to um, look at the emails I just forwarded you and maybe call Mark in your office. Cause like, I just don't think we should be handling it by ourselves. It seems... We should get somebody involved. <laughs> and he called my husband cause he wouldn't talk to me about it. The so, gentleman from your son. Yes, he called my mm. husband and was like, your wife is a heretic. She has, she, he said a lot of super offensive things, to be honest with you. That wow. was the first time. And I, I remember crying at Mark simply because I felt bad that this was his first like interaction with me. Mm. I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm not a troublemaker. I feel like I look back at that now and I'm like, mm, that was maybe not true. Huh. The part about you not being a troublemaker yeah. or... But I think he kind of helped you come into your skin on that one too, right? Because he had your back in helping navigate that. Yes. Yes and no. <laughs> no. Um, what, how that ended, I think, the thing about how that ended is I, I did the quote-unquote responsible church thing, and I, I took it on the nose with them and was like, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that your feelings were hurt. I'm sorry that you felt disrespected. I'm sorry this. I'm sorry that. In a meeting mediated by your husband. Okay. And in that meeting, there hit this point where they were, it, it literally hit a point where I went, I don't think I can say sorry a single another time. I don't know what else I can be yeah. sorry for. Yeah. And, and Mark was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think she should have to. And I think that we're good. And, and they, this gentleman said, well, I don't know if we can be at this church then anymore. And Mark was said, I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> I can help you find another church. Yeah, he's like, maybe that's for the best. And that was very affirming to be like, oh, okay. Hmm. We're so, not going to risk losing people. Yeah. Like, nobody's going to be upset if these people walk. Which could be a common thing in the church. Like, we got to kind of keep, in a consumer-minded yeah. church, right. totally. we got to keep everybody happy. we got to keep everybody satisfied, satiated, don't rock the boat. When sort of the message of Jesus is pretty boat-rocking, right? If yeah. we're honest about that. So, so can I ask, um, 
in my experience with people in situations like that, and even my own, where people, um, you know, have sent me the strongly worded emails calling call me, yeah, yeah, exactly, uh, and living a life of sin. I was, uh, I remember one I was called a stumbling block specifically. Dude, me too. Yeah, stumbling block buddies. Whoa. Yeah. Um, I'm in the presence of <laughs> ministry legacy. Mine was the mother of a young man in the youth group that I was helping lead at the time. She called me a stumbling block to her 12-year-old mm. son. Wow. So in my experience with these fun. and with other people who go through these similar situations, uh, a lot of them that I know who go through this leave the church. Mm-hmm. So why have you decided... I mean, that was years ago. Why have you, and I'm sure it wasn't the first time. So, no, Nor the last. <laughs> yeah. So what is it, uh, I, I'm just thinking through listeners who might be sitting here thinking, I don't even go to a church because I had the exact same thing happen to me. Mm. I, I literally, one of our groups at our church, uh, one of our, uh, <laughs> it was the, the uh, launch of our rooted group. So it was mostly staff and key volunteers and we had one blow up because it was newly brought in people yeah. into this rooted group with mostly staff and key level volunteers, people you would think were mature you and always, it blew up. I feel like every church thinks that's a good combination. They're like, <laughs> yeah. we're going to get all the high functioning people yeah. in one room and put them as a group. I it have yet work. to ever see a situation where that ends fruitfully and very often it does not end well at all. Yeah. So what's, um, what's kept you? What's keeping you just in church in general? Yeah. Like believing in, in the, the, church worldwide the global capital c church you're believing in and even beyond that it's not even that you just attend like you work in a church you you well yeah uh (laughs) i do i no i i believe in the church a lot i so all all joking about legacy stuff aside i really have been my dad was a pastor when i was born i was born into a ministry family he was in active vocational ministry my whole life yeah so was my mom, my grandfather, my grandmother, my aunt, both my uncles. Um, my brother went to Bible college for a while. My younger brother leads worship at a church. Um, we are like a ministry family. And I think that we've all heard the jokes about pastor's kids who go yeah. crazy and yeah. whatever. But I think the other side of that is that when you see the ugly side of things from an early age and early on, you have a more realistic perception mm. yeah. of what something is, whereas people who come into the church and the ugly is hidden from them, mm. when they're hit with the ugly, it is so core-shaking because they've built their faith around yeah. that church. Yeah. The idealized version of what Yeah, that is. someone comes in mm. and their life is in shambles or they're in a really low spot and they come in and a pastor is kind to them, a church surrounds them. So much of their faith is tied up in that church Mm-hmm. And then the more that they see some of the behind-the-curtain stuff, they become this disillusioned shell of what was. Like, I can't believe this is what's happening. and Because they've lost sight of the fact that the church is run by people, and people are super imperfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they pull back because they have put all of this expectation and all of this totally. into mm-hmm. the church that was never right to begin Absolutely. with. Absolutely. So yeah. there's this thing happening right now. I, I mean, one term that gets used for it is the idea of deconstruction. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of people, I mean, our age, that have, are deciding to 
um, I think in some cases take apart what they believe or the framework that they were passed on. I think in some cases totally leave the church and denounce the faith. Like maybe even help me with some definitions there on what that means, deconstruction. Because I just I've had several you know conversations even word? just this week. Well, somebody made it a buzzword. But that's right? what I'm saying. Like it wasn't sure. a word until all of this. Wow. In the evangelical world, people started doing it and created a word for it. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. Because I think deconstruct is a, is a word, but nobody uses it in that. Anyway, that was in an article term. I read. So if I'm wrong, don't. I believe you. <laughs> Where are you reading your articles? No, it's Mostly the Babylon Bee. No. <laughs> I, love, I love that people are doing that. I think that it's a really valuable way. We sort of hand people a faith, sort of prepackaged. It's such a hard line to walk. How do you... So I have two kids, and we work really hard to give them a framework for a faith without just delivering a prepackaged, this is what we believe, so this is what you should believe kind of faith. And that's really hard <laughs> because it turns out that's not a thing that exists. <laughs> a framework for a, a faith. To, because kids naturally have questions, and they want mm. to know and they are not in a position where they can answer the questions themselves through yeah. expl exploration or discovery. And so it kind of made me realize that the thing about deconstruction is you have to have something to deconstruct first. Mm -hmm. And because I've gone back and forth with my husband, like, well, do we really want to teach them that Bible story? Do we really want to tell them that, you know, kid theology point, whatever? And the place that I always land is these people who are doing these deconstructions within their own faith, they had to have something to deconstruct first mm -hmm. yeah. so that they, and, and a lot of times people do walk away, but a lot of times people stay and they, it's a, it's an actually really old concept. We used to just say like, make your faith your own. Mm -hmm. So I think deconstructing faith a lot of times is just making your faith your own, mm -hmm. stripping away what you've been handed by parents or a church or whoever mm -hmm. to look at it from a standpoint of what matters to me, what impacts my spirit what do i feel connected to mm -hmm. and, and maybe it's like more common conversation now just the state of culture in america you, no one lives in the same place like i was driving around where we are right now with your husband around lunch and it's like well what's the demographic around this city like is it all people that have grown up here and have just lived in, no there's a lot of people moving in the area you know i'm from north carolina i live in california now mm -hmm. and i've lived in other places in between you're in the tech corridor of the country now, I know. I just and learned, no one so. there is from there either so <laughs> yeah but you're bringing in like what i learned my faith that i was handed which is still great i love my parents i love my grandparents mm -hmm. but i'm deconstructing that over the last five years mm -hmm. because i had to i got mm -hmm. faced with a world that does not hold the same view of humans it does not yeah. view the same for you know in in some ways and it's like do i want to be completely weird and wrong out here because of some view that I was handed. Not that they're wrong and not that they're right over here, but somebody's got to have, there's nuance in it, which yeah. is the conversation we're having. So how do I meet you two in the middle mm -hmm. without throwing out what I was given because it could still be true and without ignoring what I could be given here mm -hmm. because it's just not what I was handed. Like I got to meet somewhere in the middle and find these conversations. 
So and to your point, I don't know if this is like a new I don't know if this is a new thing or if it's just new newly like marketed or advertised because we have language for it and because we have social media. So I'm reading about it more and you know whether it's like a, a season of pain or something hard that happens or a conflict in the church or like I don't even know exactly what catalyzes it. But what I'm hearing you say is that it's not it's not a bad thing to no. hold up the things in your faith tradition that you have been passed, the messages, even the unintended consequences of trying to make some of that super yeah. accessible, right? Like super user friendly and, and lower the barrier to entry. And, you know, I, I want to believe there are good things that went into some of that. But I hear you even talking about your kids. Well, and I think it the it's that pendulum swings too far thing. And I think one of the things that happens with that is the internet really does change the game because mm. we have a global culture in a way that we never have before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was reading something yesterday that made me so sad that said that the Chicago accent, like the real oh, the bears, like that it's almost non-existent anymore. Yeah. And it like that it's gone. You can't find any representation of it in media or culture at all. And that it's actually dying out in the city of Chicago itself. Hmm because of this global culture that has started to exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that that plays a part in this because yeah. 20 years ago, somebody is like, this faith that I've been handed, it feels disingenuous and wrong. Mm-hmm. And all they had were the people in their immediate yep. circle and their immediate reach to kind of bounce around that with. And I think that most often probably what happened because they were going to the people who handed them that faith, those people were then like, no, it doesn't, you're wrong. Yes, no, in, out, you, stay. And pro- not necessarily that harsh, but just sure, like, sure. well, you have questions and that's fine. Let me give you the same answers I've been giving you. <laughs> and, yeah. and now if you have questions, you hop online, you can get on Twitter. There's entire communities. You can get on Facebook. You can go um, yeah. read a thousand articles where people are exploring it in a way that has created community around it and safety around it. Mm-hmm. So I think we talk about it more mm-hmm. because we have found safety in the numbers of it a little bit. I know mm-hmm. that when I was questioning things in my uh, the denomination that I grew up in and the, the elders of my church, when there were questions that would come up, uh, I remember them being very kind with me and actually agreeing to sit with me and give me literature. I mean, of course, it was just perpetuating what they've already taught me and just continuing <laughs> that. But it was better because they're saying, this is the scripture that we base this yeah. off of. Mm-hmm. You're not just hearing what we're saying. You can still take it and interpret it for yourself, mm-hmm. but we're going to at least give you the homework. Like, we're going to give you the homework. We're going to give you where we got these answers. We're going to yeah. show you our work and stuff. And I remember thinking, this is great. I, I still don't agree completely with them in some things, but I know exactly why they think the things they do. And I don't think that they're ignorant in it because I see where they got it from. But today I know the frustration is, especially like we're on the heels of another uh, leader in the, in the, in the church who has decided to denounce his faith. It was a Christian celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know that the, the social media and all the, the buzz around it right now is the frustration with, not, not that you, what you're doing is wrong, but why do you need to publicize it so much that you're now mm. renouncing your faith? But see, I I actually do kind of understand that. Okay. I, I have never been someone that came from a super... Part of why I think I'm comfortable with deconstruction and being a heretic in general. So most kids in school, they would come home from school and be like, hey, I got an A on this paper. Isn't that awesome? And their parents would be like, yeah, let's put it on the fridge. My dad did not care about A's on papers. If I came home with a note that was like, my teacher's mad because I told her she was wrong and we argued about it in class, but also I won, he'd be like, 
Good job. Put it on the put, put it, it on the fridge. On the fridge. <laughs> The little comments you get on the report card, if, yeah. you know, if, if mine said things like, um, you know, needs to not disagree with me in class, he'd, he'd, and he would do the parent, the parental thing of being like, well, you shouldn't do that. But then he'd have a little smile and be like, but did you win? <laughs> like, <laughs> and so uh, my point being like, I'm super comfortable in this space of, um, subverting the dominant paradigm and like view shifting. I'm very comfortable with it. And I think that there is a responsibility to revisit things you may have said Mm -hmm. before that shift. And so I think when people go public with uh, denouncing their faith or their their new position on things, I think I really believe that more often than not, it's an attempt to revisit something that they now feel probably guilt and shame over. Mm. I used to be a a traveling abstinence educator in public schools this guy. <laughs> Another layer to the onion. I've lived a life, John. <laughs> My goodness. Another layer to the onion? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's rich. <laughs> wow. What a legacy you <laughs> But my point is, there are things, like, I think about some of the things that I stood in front of classrooms and said, and I, like, I cringe. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that I told impressionable, vulnerable teenagers. I can't believe I compared them to half-eaten fruit. Like, this is, (laughs) that's an old church trick where, like, the girl is an apple and you have a bunch of dudes take a bite out of the apple. And then, like, oh, no, the apple's gone. It's a core now. She's got nothing left to give. Or you all take a bite after one another, and you're. We did yeah, that with yeah. a sucker or a piece of gum to just prove, like, once you've been chewed, you are. We should put a sensor <laughs> warning at the beginning of this. <laughs> Maybe don't play this with your kids in the car. PG thirteen. <laughs> I have never heard these examples, uh, and I am glad that I've never heard these examples. These were really these. This, no, I believe this was you. Like they curriculum. sound like we didn't make these be. up. These yeah. are these were curriculum abstinence education curriculum. So tell us though the 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 diminishing message that that communicates. Yeah, it just kind of communicates, especially as someone who comes from a faith background, even though I was in public schools and I couldn't talk about Christ, I was, it was even worse then because I was just putting this message out there on these, these children that there is something that you can do that will permanently erase your value and permanently deplete your personal worth. And there's no hope the apple is eaten and you are done. (laughs) Yeah. And I think about those things now, and I, I have a lot of, for me at this point, I don't think shame or guilt is the right word, but I have a lot of conviction over having been part of a system that perpetuated some of those really harmful messages. So I think when people make public declarations about where they are now, I really think it's the, them trying to be people of integrity and saying like, hey, I have you know, 2.5 million Instagram followers and you all follow me because you think I believe this. I don't believe that anymore. And it's the honorable thing to do to tell you that so that you don't keep following me thinking like, I'm going to get spiritual enlightenment from this person because that's not who I am now. And I think sometimes some of those views have been harmful. And part of deconstruction comes when you either recognize the harm that you have lived under or recognize the harm that you have done. And so I think revisiting those views from a new standpoint is, again, about trying to, I don't think you can undo that harm, but trying to at least take ownership of it. Mm. Yeah. That's very well said. Yeah. It's it's beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful, Abby. (laughs) 
And Paul teaches us to um, to wrestle our salvation, right, with yeah. fear and trembling, like to wrestle Work through it that. Out. Yeah. yeah, and that's not. I mean, as a with a church leader hat on, that can be scary to tell yeah. people go wrestle it out and go figure it out. Yeah. And more and more church leaders that I talk to, like, kind of have a bit of a, a judgmental perspective on people that are going through any type of deconstruction that are what? wrestling. It, well, this is also not something so we've crazy. ever had to face. I mean, it's not like they had followers. Well, yeah. <laughs> social media followers back in the day. I mean, <laughs> if Paul was to turn to the people following him and said, I changed my stance. Well, and on he something. would yeah. leave a city and go to a new city and then yeah. they would start deciding, well, who here am I going to follow? Who's teaching me? Am right. I going to yeah. ascribe to? And he would go back to them and say, well, Jesus at the center. This is what Christ, yeah. you know, like this isn't a new problem i do think like you said earlier our access to information Absolutely. and to places yeah. of wrestling changes it but um i'm hearing you i mean it's actually really encouraging like you're saying no this is, that's not a bad thing and yeah. in fact i think when if people come through deconstruction with any sense of a reconstructed faith it's a more durable faith yeah right it's something that's like standed the test of time and has been wrestled through with fear and trembling that's a good thing yeah the and thing I, oh sorry no go ahead I was going to say, I also think some of this just comes back to we are at a more consumeristic space within churches than we have probably ever been. Yes. And with that comes prepackaged faith in a way that is, again, more aggressive and more intense than it has ever been before. We just did, um, I I help out with the students, and we just did a, a thing about, like, why it's important to know the Bible. And I just read them a bunch of what you would think were Bible verses. And I said, okay, in the Bible or not in the Bible? And they were like, in the Bible. And I was like, not in the Bible. Like Justin Bieber or Jesus kind of Well, a thing. like things like, um, well, okay, so we were a little sneaky about it. But it was like, like money is the root of all evil. And they'd yeah. be like, in the Bible. No, not in, not in yeah. the Bible. The love the of, money. of money is the root mm-hmm. of all evil. Mm-hmm. Oh, trick oh, question. Oh. Yeah, no. They Actually, they didn't believe it. They're like, no, that's not what it's. But it was stuff like that where like God will never give you more than you can handle. Yeah. In the Bible uh, or not in the Bible. In the Bible. <laughs> not in the Bible. <laughs> the exact opposite, actually. Yeah, and, and, and so we, we talked about how the reason that it's important to be in your Bible for yourself and mm-hmm. to develop a faith walk for yourself is not because pastors are out here like just trying to pull the wool over your yeah, eyes. Yeah, we're not trying and to like, do that. Yeah. <laughs> like manipulate you. But every time you listen to someone teach, you are listening to the Bible through their lens. Yes. Mm. And we have become so accustomed to just accepting the Bible through someone else's lens that we don't find it necessary to explore the Bible through our own lens and allow the Lord to, you know, discern with us and give to us a meaning that might be, I told them, I'm so sorry, Gary. (laughs) I I told them that night, like, if you are at a church where you agree with your pastor 100% on everything he's ever taught, you don't have your own faith. You are just taking what he's giving you Mm because it's okay to have a different interpretation on things. This whole, um, not even just teaching devotions, like that's very popular to read a devotion, right? Like a devotional book or Mm -hmm. watch a devotional. Mm. And that's a very similar thing. That's somebody Mm -hmm. else's lens. And um, I think that was like a a new eye-opening level for me when I started teaching and I could find a whole different context or perspective on the same scripture. Like, wait a minute, this really thoughtful, well-educated, spirit-led individual sees it this way and somebody else, you know, that was... Well, that's what I thought when you were talking about the elders and how they would be like, well, here's how we got there, which is great, but it's still only half the thing because every point has six counterpoints that are just as well-researched and just as 
we like to think that someone's interpretation, like if we come at this differently, one of us is on the more spiritual side than the other. Yeah. We don't even frame it in terms of right and wrong. Mm, it's like yeah. connected to God or not connected to God. But most and of I these be issues like, you know what? aren't salvation. Like circling yeah, back to the you, full issue. You can be connected yeah. to God and deeply spiritual person and still be wrong about something. Totally. Mm-hmm. That was a conversation I had with my father years ago. It was, I'm not telling you. Dad, you are wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, it, that was the voice. Like, I'm not telling We're you spiritually disconnected. you're wrong. I'm simply saying, I want you to look at this Look at the big right. picture here. This is the view that you hold. Now, I know you, and I know your education. Now let's look at the view that this masters of theology. Right. And I'm, again, I'm not saying you're wrong, and I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just saying look at how both of you have opposite views right. of the two of, of the same thing. If people whose job it is, if there if there yeah. are people whose whole life is built around excavating scripture and they can't decide on one meaning of a verse, then I'm not going to be like, but I've got it. But my point with that that also was not to make you change your view. Like for, with my dad, I was like, I'm not trying to tell you to change it to his or to change it to mine. I just want you to understand where I'm at and why I don't agree with it. Mm -hmm. Like it, and it, again, no one's wrong in this situation. We just have different interpretations. But we're not comfortable with that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we, there's something in human nature that needs guideposts to tell us, am I doing it right? Am I doing it? Is this the right thing to do? Am I, is this as far, is this my prog? And like, and that's why we read the Bible the certain way to get, (laughs) well, hold on. Does it just, let me just get the five things I have to do to be happy. (laughs) And then have your next series idea too. But that's because Jesus won't give me more than I can handle. So that's where it's in the Bible. Well, I've got to go. It's been nice. (laughs) Just like we say every week on this podcast. (laughs) Jesus won't give you more than up with don't forget. <laughs> Jesus will never give you more than you can handle. I just want to say just really quickly, like yeah. I super appreciate that sentiment because I understand where it comes from. But that also just so we're clear, that Bible verse is talking about temptation and it is talking about yeah. that Jesus will give you the strength through his Holy Spirit and his power to resist temptation, not like crisis in life and i think that that's some of why we come to these places of deconstruction if you've been told your whole life jesus will never give you more than you can handle your kid dies the same week that you get evicted from your house and you find out that you're you know you've got cancer you're gonna go yeah i I can't handle this Mm -hmm. and you're gonna start to have this crisis of faith yeah because your faith has been built around something that wasn't wasn't necessarily true to begin mm-hmm. with, not because you were wrong, but because you took what someone else said, yeah. believing that it was. And so I think we come to these deconstruction things because especially in crisis, I think crisis is a point of deconstruction for most people. Most people begin a deconstruction process in a moment of personal crisis or faith crisis because we go, okay, but this, I, I've been told this was true my whole life and it isn't true right now. And I. I don't know how to make sense of that it's not true an, anymore. Yeah. If it's not true now, then it was never true. And mm-hmm. what else isn't true? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What and I'm then all of it goes under the light of questions. Yeah. 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 What I'm hearing you say, even before this, you were talking about we're in an age of consumerism. Obviously, we've talked about this on here before, too. And it these deconstruction tendencies that are popping up all around us of these people, which are good. I do agree with that. This is a good thing. Question what you are it just raises the bar for authentic community. Absolutely. The, the community that I have in my life is where I deconstruct. And it's the people that I love and I hang out with every single week where we're constantly deconstructing things yeah. together. 
but I have that. So I don't need to go look on the internet necessarily, which I still do. Like, okay, what does this pastor say? What does this yeah. book say about it? But in a consumer Christianity, there is no community because right. you, there's no need for it. I can get everything that I need through podcasts, through worship music in my car. And then if I really want to be spiritual, I'll go for the hour Sunday service. But I don't need community because I also don't have time for it. Right. Um, but just how important it is to be in community, which is something so outdated it would seem like like what is it oh, man there's so many studies that i've been reading lately about how western culture is the only culture throughout history that doesn't have um like the home dynamic or yeah. the uh like the the culture itself of like of groups well it, the whole like individualization has yeah, become king yeah. in our yeah. culture and I, I mean i was gonna go on that same riff just about the church in general if we don't create places for people to have these conversations yeah. we will just lose them because yeah. precisely what you just unpacked that they hit a moment of crisis and if these things all of a sudden don't hold up anymore and they don't have a place to wrestle that out well then I mean, if they just leave, how many of us would notice that? Right. Well, even in that like, consumer church, the pastor is thinking, I don't have the time to right. wrestle with you because I've got 5,000 other more people that are excited and interested and at least still agreeing with me. So why am I going to waste my time with the one person? It's The thing is, cons- I, I get what you're saying and I totally agree with you, but like my one caveat is that a church doesn't have to have 5,000 people to be a consumer. Oh, I church. agree. And yeah. so I think there are definitely <laughs> yeah. times, even in what we perceive to be like small churches where those things should exist, they don't. And I think a lot of times, if we're being really gut level honest, who's the one handing out the faith in those situations? And so if someone comes and says like, I'm really struggling with this, theological concept i'm really struggling with this whatever and they're going to their pastor well their pastor is probably the one who taught and i think that for a lot of pastors there tends to be this like gut reaction of like am i wrong was i wrong do they think i'm wrong and and i don't mean that in like a malicious like they're like again it's not about an intentional nature yeah i think it's just exactly you tried you it goes back to that like believing that because someone you disagree with someone you have to box it into okay well they're a bad christian or they're not really connected to god mm-hmm. or even they don't love me because right. they don't well, agree with me and so i think that when it comes to someone trying to wrestle through it with their pastor i think a lot of times a pastor struggles to do that because yes it's your call or whatever but it's also your vocation it's a yeah. lot of your worth is wrapped up in it and if someone's telling you that you're wrong there can be this panic switch that hits yeah. where you're like, okay, well, now I have to convince them Take that I'm right. In. Take your heels in. Take <laughs> yeah. your heels in. Yeah, totally. And again, not from a bad, I really tr- truly don't mean that from like a malicious, like trying to manipulate people. But pastors, I actually have really a really high opinion of pastors. I genuinely believe that they don't teach things they don't really believe. With few exceptions, when those public things happen and it's like, oh, okay. But for the most part, pastors don't disseminate things they don't really hold true in their own heart and so some of it becomes this space of how do I help someone wrestle through something without my bias in it because I really do believe that thing I taught Mm -hmm. it I believe it Mm -hmm. and so having the humility to go I don't know that I'm the person that can wrestle that through with you because I don't we'll come to the same conclusion over and over again if I'm the one Mm -hmm. let's find some more people and bring some more people into this Mm -hmm. yeah for sure. Because we, well, one of the things you said is if you don't agree with me, then you're against me, right? Mm-hmm. Like that can be your mentality. If you don't agree with me, 
you're against me. And the other piece of this, um, I, I was just talking to a friend about this recently, like what does it mean to love someone and engage in conversation? I mean, the three of us could sit here and come up with 10 things that we don't agree on politically. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> like, it could be endless, but at, at what point... Just from the first 30 minutes of this. <laughs> It, but if we truly love someone, like if love is at the core of it, can't yeah. I still love you even if I never convince you that right. my way is the right way? And in fact, is it is it coercion if I right. need you to believe the thing that I'm saying about this in order for me I to love you? I literally just had this conversation with my husband last night, relationally. Sorry, honey. <laughs> <laughs> but we were, ta- we, we were talking something out and I disagreed with, I said, well, this is what I'm going to do. And he was like, I really don't feel like that's the thing that you should do. That sounds like not the right way to handle it. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do it this way anyway. <laughs> was it this podcast? He yes. was telling you not he to do like, this. He was like, oh, don't do it. And I and I was like, he, he said, here's why I don't think you should do it. And I said, okay, fine. I'll do it your way. And then he proceeded to reiterate why he thought we should do it that way. And I went, I said, I'd do it your way. And then he did it a third time and I went, stop. <laughs> you, you are trying to control my feelings and that's not how this works. Like you mm. can you can help redirect my actions, but you don't you don't really have a say in my feelings. Like I get to feel my feels and feel how I feel about a thing. And if I'm saying, okay, that's fine, I'll do it this way, I will be on your side, but to be fully in relationship with you, I don't have to feel the same way as you. We can be a team and me still feel like this isn't my favorite thing that's ever happened. Because those feelings will fade. Like those feelings are fleeting. Feelings tend to change on a, a dime. And I think one thing that this plays into is when you have a church, especially because a lot of deconstruction stuff comes from church staff people. Like when mm. you talk to people about deconstruction, a lot of them were like, well, I was on a, I was on a church staff for a couple of years. And we yeah. have this weird team mentality where it's like, if we are not of one mind, then we are failing and da-da-da. Mm. And it, it, it kind of teaches us that we – have to have the same feelings and the same actions but that's not true like that's not even true in the bible in the new testament how many times were they like all right well i'll do it this way but like got some feels about it man mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. your feelings are a process a process that the lord built in us so to try to corral or what like coerce like you said mm-hmm. someone's feelings into being different that stops honoring the process that God literally built them with. Yeah. And I can yield to you in my actions, right. even if my feelings don't feel the way. And frankly, as Christ followers, I can yield to you for the sake of unity, even right. in the midst of disagreement. And that's like, that's part of what's so and beautiful about this And I can feel not great about the thing we're doing and still be on board to do it. Mm-hmm. Not because I'm being disingenuous or not being fully committed but because in my heart, I felt differently. Mm-hmm. I'm still on board. I'm still, I'm not going to walk around like, well, I don't really want to do this dumb thing you're doing. You know what I mean? That, <laughs> that translates to action. Yeah. So I think finding that line between unity of actions, but letting people's feelings be mm-hmm. their own feelings, mm-hmm. I think that plays into a big part of how people deconstruct when they're struggling. Because again, you start to go, Come back to my side. Let me convince you. Let me mm-hmm. tell you. Let mm-hmm. me let, mm-hmm. let me just give you my six point power PowerPoint presentation on why this is yeah why I'm right yeah and you're wrong <laughs> right right right. Uh, John, I want to go back to something you started talking about there when you were talking about authentic community, and then you were also talking about like 
the church or the church space almost like those are two different things. And I just want to, I want to ask Abby for a minute, like when you, unfortunately, unfortunately. (laughs) but we do talk about them, uh, you know, like they're two different things, but I think at the core, it comes down to even our definition of the church, like what the church is. And I have seen you do this in a really stunning way. And, you know, I'm even, this is a selfish question because at our church, we're launching table gatherings, which is really like, we had the conversation with our table facilitators of part of the questions you're going to ask people weekly is like, what was said on the weekend that challenged you or encouraged you or that you didn't agree with? Like Mark made some, told some story a couple weeks ago about being in youth ministry and how one day as a sermon illustration, he ripped out the pages of his Bible because he was like, this is what we all do at the Saturday night service. I mean, somebody (sighs) like vocally responded and he didn't do it in there, but 15 years ago as a youth pastor, he did. They and he was like, like the <laughs> sheer thought of it. Yes. They vocally responded to a story no! of someone doing it. Somebody, yes, in the room, you know, like, it's, it's, hey, it isn't <laughs> so, pastor. Yes. So as we were talking to these table facilitators about like, you know, we want to give you permission to ask that question. We want to give you permission we to wanna physically destroy people's Bibles. Well, or, but I, I mean, I've had somebody in my family, it's like, you can't write in the margin of your Bible. You're right. You're marring that's crazy the word that's of like God. a boom in business now. Yeah. Right. You could color in them yeah. too now, I think. Right. Color Extra margin. Yeah. Yes, yeah. totally. Um, teaching talk to us about holding space for people to be able to do that and and we hope that everybody in our church will hold space at their dinner table to be able to let people wrestle but I see you do this around your table this is like a ministry of presence that I think you bring to anybody who's in your life so talk to us about what that's looked like for you well (laughs) give us the 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 six-point powerpoint please I, I don't know man so I community is such a big thing for me. I my husband and I we both are very physically far removed from our family. Our families live very far away. Um we got married and and when we started having babies, not we moved. My son was like 3 months old and we moved probably an hour and a half from where we had been for a, individually as individuals 10 years. So like we Got married, got a first our first ministry job, had a baby, and moved all within three months. And we just were plopped mm-hmm. in the middle of this like. And I remember, when I was pregnant, I had um, a condition where I had to give myself um, like sh- injections every single day, and ended up on bed rest. And I we the ministry job we had been looking at prior would have taken us even further. And I remember at the time, my husband really wanted to go to this one in Friend, Nebraska. And I was like, I just feel like God is saying it's a no. (laughs) To Nebraska as a whole? God's just saying, no, not you, Nebraska. My husband was like, is it because they only have one stoplight? And I was like, it's not not that. (laughs) No, it was a great little town. Like It was an incredible little church. I really felt like it was a no. And I couldn't say why, and I think that bothered him. Yeah. And then he felt the same and I think it bothered him that we didn't know why and then cut to a month later we found out I was pregnant we found out that I was going to need this very expensive medicine then I ended up on bed rest the church community that we had built in that 10 years I don't know that we would have survived that time in our life Mm. without them and then directly after that we up and moved and (laughs) we had nobody 
And I have been in church, again, my whole life, even that church community that was so faithful to us in that moment, that was the church my dad was a pastor at when I was born. And so when I went to Bible college, when I moved back to Illinois for Bible college, I started going to that church because it was easy. They all knew me already. They knew my family. They knew I didn't have to build community because it was just like, boom, there. Mm. And growing up, I was the pastor's kid. I didn't have to build community. Everybody wanted to hang out with us. Like, <laughs> yeah. I had no experience building community for myself. And a mom at this church that we ended up at um, was telling me about a small group that she ran for moms during the morning of like little babies and little kids. And I can still remember walking up to her house that first day and just being terrified of like walking into the house of someone. I've had one conversation with you. I don't know you. I've got some social anxiety. I'm a new mom. You guys are all established moms. You're going to be like, what is she doing with that kid? <laughs> like, I, I mean, I was just, I was a nervous wreck. And I forced myself to ring the doorbell. Oh, no, I didn't. That's a lie. Somebody was getting there at the same time as I. I probably would have walked Thankfully, away. Thankfully, yeah. you might have left. Yeah. Somebody was getting there at the same time that I got there and was like, just come on in. And I was like, okay. And, and that experience, it honestly, it taught me everything that I still believe and hold true about community, which is that the importance of com like the important thing in community it's actually not as much the invitation as we think it is i think people invite a lot i think people struggle to receive the invitation well i think i think people struggle to um walk into spaces where they're unfamiliar with other people someone who's new at your church if inviting them into a small group that's super easy you've got a small group you've got a dynamic going people have been together for some amount of time they're walking into something totally new that exists without them. And it takes a lot of courage to say, yeah, okay, I'll go. Hmm. Most small groups don't grow. New small groups form. Because it's easier to get a bunch of people who aren't in a small group to be a small group than it is to bring someone new into an existing small group, especially if they're not already relationally connected to those people. Mm -hmm. We really struggle to have the kind of bravery and vulnerability that it takes to step into a new space. Yeah. And that, knowing that was true was such a view-shifting thing for me. Understanding that genuine community means sacrificing my comfort levels at mm -hmm. times and sacrificing um, my time sometimes, keeping my kid out late. We have people, we've had people in our lives who would sit at our table and cry and be like, we just really want community. We just really want community. I'd be like, great, we're, you know, come come hang out with us this night. Well, we can't. Our kids go to bed at 6 o'clock and we can't miss it. And I'm not saying, like, don't ever have a schedule. Yeah. I'm just saying that sometimes you have to give in some areas to develop mm -hmm. something that's beautiful and something that's holy. And now those same people, when those people kind of got on board with that, um, they are our lifelong friends now. Their kids are like, my kids have been terrible influences on them. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they just came to visit us, and we these we're talking about kids who the first time they ever set foot in our house, she, the little girl, would hide behind her, her mom's legs the whole time. Her mom would be sitting at a chair, and she would literally get on the floor and hide behind her mom's legs. We went to the home of some people here from this church, and she was like, Mom, I'm going to go in their fridge and look for milk. Like, <laughs> And that's been, it's been only three years. And such a, to see such a shift 
even in a child yeah to understand mm-hmm. the bravery that it that and the courage that you have to work to develop mm-hmm. to to develop that kind of community that w- it was such a fruit-filled moment for me to be like oh my gosh it doesn't just take bravery to invite people in it really takes bravery to accept and accept the invitation and sit mm-hmm. at a table and be honest like I've been a small group leader for a long time in various things. It's really easy to post questions to people. Yeah. It's super, especially if they're canned and I can just pull it up and be like, so, da-da-da-da-da-da. What do you disagree <laughs> with from the pastor's message? Yeah, that takes... Is that your new favorite? <laughs> <laughs> that takes no vulnerability to pose questions, but it takes a lot of vulnerability and a lot of courage to answer the questions. Mm. And I think that what I've learned is just creating a space where that vulnerability will be rewarded no matter what is said, where you don't immediately go, well, let's not say that, where you just go, okay, mm-hmm. I can appreciate that take, mm-hmm. even if it's not your take, mm-hmm. where you can say, all right, well, what do you mean by that? Can you expound on that? Can you tell me more about that? Where mm-hmm. you invite people in to, man, just really know deep in their bones that they're not going to be judged because as, as much as I can take being called a heretic most people can't it yeah. freaks them out they won't share what they think because for fear that somebody else in the group doesn't agree with them yeah. so I don't know if that answered your question <laughs> totally well and I'm just I'm hearing it comes from a place of love not trying to convince and it comes from a place of like your commitment to community I mean you said is worth sacrificing comfort it's worth sacrificing time it's worth sacrificing preference because you see the beauty not just in like the immediate benefits of it but that's literally the call to following Jesus right is to being a part of this community of believers where these are your brothers and sisters and that little girl that went into the fridge for milk is you know your niece yeah I'm curious, give us some handholds on anybody that might be listening that's walking with somebody who's going through deconstruction, that's walking with somebody going... Don't call them a heretic. Don't. Yes, yeah, step one, do not <laughs> call them one. a heretic. Uh, and I actually really mean that. I, I remember a day where I was telling my my own husband, like, hey, so you should probably know, like, I don't believe X, Y, Z. And he was in the kitchen... I said it gentler than that. I let in gent- more. We were talking. Hey, so I've been thinking. Hey, so just wanted to let you know. And he froze mid-dishwashing and got this funny look on his face. And I said, what? And he went, I'm worried. And I said, worried about what? And he said, I'm worried. that." And I said, that I'm a heretic? And he was like, I mean, yeah. And he was dead serious. Yeah. And I said, okay, I'm not. <laughs> Here's what I still believe. So relax, but it definitely puts a wall up when somebody is immediately viscerally (laughs) opposed to what you're saying. So when someone's coming to you with questions or if they have things that they are struggling through, they're not looking to be convinced. They are looking to probably verbally process most often or to just reaffirm your love for them like hey will you still love me if i don't believe that jonah was swallowed by a literal whale in the ocean and then regurgitated three days later will you still love me if i can't find my way clear to believe in a literal seven-day creation will you still love me and i think the best model for that is that god still loves them so of course you still love them people tend to use that old analogy where it's like but I, this is the loving thing to do. Like, if you know someone's in danger, then you tell them so that they're not in danger anymore. 
But it all goes back to these salvation issues. Like, there's a lot that you can believe about the Bible without your salvation being in question. Yeah. And so not questioning people's salvation, not being personally offended that they don't believe what you believe anymore, or maybe never did, and they're just being brave to tell you for the first time. Mm. If we really hold on to the assurance that we have that the Holy Spirit is going to meet them in that wrestling, there should be a sense of sort of open-handed, yeah. I'm going to love you, whether you come back to this in, in agreement with me or in alignment with me or not, right? If yeah. we really believe in the assurance of that being a spirit-led process to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, and I think just laying down an agenda because that's what you believe. Because you hold to that, mm -hmm. you don't have to have an agenda. It's not your job to save them. It's not your job to reconvince them. Mm -hmm. They probably just want to talk. Ask them what they believe now. Ask them how they got there. Mm -hmm. Ask them if there's something that you can read or explore to help you better understand their new viewpoint on something. Mm -hmm. Even hearing you say this, Abby, I'm thinking how brave for somebody to be willing to sort of lean into that conversation and say, hey, there's this new way. There's there's yeah. something I'm struggling. I mean, that in and of itself shows that whoever is saying that to you trusts you enough to hold that with them. If they're willing to say, I'm yeah. wrestling about this belief or I'm wrestling about this thing. Um, we have a friend, a, a couple, that the husband is really wrestling through what he thinks about substitutionary, substitutionary atonement mm. right now. And they have mm. a child and another one on the way. And this wife has called me in tears and said, I don't know what we're supposed to teach our kids about faith. Right. And, you know, she has kind of gone through, I don't know if this would be the stages of grief or not, but like anger or sadness or frustration for him, right? Because he's wrestling. And so in some ways I have felt like, okay, the way I can love them well is to give her a place to process and not have to inflict some of that on him yeah. while he is navigating, you know, this, like, how can I just hold space for her while she holds space for him, which I think is a really loving thing to do for her to say, what can we read? Or here's how I get here and to engage in that conversation. And I think the flip side is, as someone who has deconstructed, like you, you're excited about it. It's painful and, and there is a grief involved in it, but there's also an excitement and a freedom in it. And you kind of want to share that with people and be like, I learned this new thing. Like I never knew this before. Yeah. And it comes across, I think sometimes for people as though you have no feelings about what you've lost or what you've given up where, and they're still in it. And they feel like I'm still part of that old framework. Am I lost and given up within that framework for this person? Did you leave me behind right. too? Like mm. this is who we were mm -hmm. when we got married. This is who we were when we mm. started a family, when mm -hmm. we were in ministry together, like whatever. So much of our life is we're taught as evangelicals. Like we're taught like your whole life needs to be Christ centered and church centered and da da da. And the flip side of that is when someone starts to deconstruct and they have so intertwined their faith into every aspect of their life, people in their life can feel very left behind and very insecure about where they now fit in into this and, and go, go into very um, intense places like, well, now what do you what do you believe about marriage now? What do you believe about monogamy? What do you believe about this? What do you believe mm -hmm, about that? Mm -hmm. And it. It, it really does throw everything into whack, not just for the deconstructionists themselves, but for the people in their lives. So I do think there also has to be grace on the part of the person deconstructing that says, you're not, this is not a tug of war. You are not trying to pull them along after you. Mm -hmm. You are just sharing your stuff with them. Mm -hmm. And it's not about bringing them to where you are because nobody could have done that for you when mm -hmm. you were in the other place mm -hmm. yeah. you have it has to be something that happens on your own and it's not going to happen for everybody it honestly is the 
result of following Jesus, like you should be kind of changing things you believe or shifting things yeah. you believe your whole life. If you're not, then you're probably not studying yeah. or growing. I mean, it, especially for people who grew up in the church because Absolutely. it's you are always handed a faith it's just the way that it, it is. is and it's not a bad thing it's it's really not no but you grow and and we and honestly the way that it is as simple as it is as what i've thought about recently the things that that i was handed was great but we are just so there's so much more now that we know. We have more of the ancient texts that we can go over. <laughs> we have more understanding of this. We have more eyes on the material. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is still working and, and breathing new things into yeah. people to communicate. And if we're to sit here and say, no, 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 everything that I taught you when you were five, don't veer from that. Nothing has right. changed. It's like, well, that, I don't, well, you we, think no one grows, no we one learns. Like, we simmer things down to the baseline main point to be able to teach it to children because children aren't capable yeah. of nuance until a certain point and we want them to have a moral framework. So one of the things I think too that's important to recognize is a lot of deconstruction happens because we give kids a moral framework and call it a faith framework. Mm. And that's not necessarily accurate. There's a lot of things that are quote unquote moral that aren't necessarily faithful. So one of the things I always think about is like, um, the big boom of self-care and like take care of yourself, self-care, put yourself first. If you don't, if you don't care for yourself, no one else is going to. And I do think that there is a, a nugget of, um, faith-based wisdom in there, but it so quickly becomes this like prioritizing yourself in a, um, what I would call prideful way. And the world would go, okay, well that, what? That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, what are you talking about? Because sometimes as a Christian, what you find faithful is not necessarily what the world would call moral, and the same is true vice versa. But for kids, a lot of it is like, we don't hit Susie because it's mean. The Bible says, be kind to one another. You know what I mean? We yeah. give them a moral framework, and we call it a faith framework, instead of trying to flesh out some of those nuances for them at a younger age, so that we can say like, hey, you know what? The Bible... <laughs> we're in this book of the Bible and it's like thou shalt not murder and we're in the next book of the Bible and God's like kill everyone every last being in that town murder them all slaughter them dead and we're like we're gonna skip that story because we don't want to create a conflicting moral framework for our children but if we did if we gave space to that at a younger age there might be less of the I think culture shock that comes with realizing that some of those nuances exist because those the real the realizing of those nuances is such a huge part of deconstruction and realizing like oh my gosh it's not as black and white as I thought and it's not as concrete as I've always been told mm -hmm. and then if this one thing is not as concrete as I right. held on to it then what that makes the whole foundation feel shaky right <laughs> and that is the piece that I think feels scary to like church leaders right now and, and to anybody going through that yeah. because then it all feels like it's built on a rocky foundation right. and you have to kind of mine through on that journey and I think sometimes our our beliefs evolve like Absolutely. I immediately think of the faith tradition that my husband was given you know like women would not be empowered to lead and he mm. has evolved tremendously just in his own journey and that wasn't even something I knew was an issue to like 
invite him into a conversation about. That was something that he evolved over time. And then one day in the church, my title changed. And I was like, what? This isn't like, I, I mean, I was a noob to the whole church culture. So I didn't know that was a thing. But how? what are the other things? There are some big topics, I think, right now, like purity no. culture. And um, somebody recently talked about... It's so hard because all of my deconstruction tendencies are just like burn it down and start over every last thing you're about to say. Yeah. Well, the prosperity, I mean, prosperity gospel in general is one that we talk about in a really popular way, but there's this new sense right now of like, I think, I think we have seen people in air quotes that have been successful in ministry and sort of equated to that, that to their internal life. Like, oh, well, they must have had, and I actually would propose this is why a lot of people on church staffs tend to go through deconstruction because there's, we like this formula idea of, well, if you do this and you do your quiet time and you're really submitted in prayer and you have the behaviors, right? If, if, if God has blessed your ministry, to grow your church or grow your thing, then that must be because your character is yeah. really solid. Like we have well, got that, this idea. It's that old biblical idea that God doesn't bless sin. Whenever anyone growing up, if someone was questioning like a church's integrity as a whole or an individual pastor's integrity as a whole, you look at the size of their church and you go, well, they're growing and God doesn't bless sin. And I want to be like, oh, well. <laughs> and we're seeing people with like prominent platforms, you know, be exposed for doing really awful right. things. But I think that puts us in a place then of like, but how could God use this person right. in such profound kingdom expanding yeah. ways who was doing this awful stuff behind the scenes? And then that leaves us turned up, you know. Have you read the Bible? Right, right, <laughs> right. But we have bought into that like prosperity right. idea of. That it equal that it's some sort of signage or sign off that if God you know, is cool with what you're doing, he will just like open the floodgates of money and it will come pouring in. And if he's not, he will slow that trickle down. And I'm like, she hasn't done that for you in the Bible where that (laughs) equation is, because I would like to engage it. (laughs) What's the formula for me? Or give me the checklist. Where does the money tree get planted? Because I just wanted that one. Yeah. But the um, the number of like faithful pastors with a hundred people in their church in Idaho, right, oh, that are sure. killing it and doing kingdom work and making disciples that make disciples, and, and but we we have this again this lens of success that we've just taken on, of which what is success so looks funny like. because people people talk about these big uh, pastors and personalities who are you know getting into all this trouble or whatever like it's something new and i'm like what are you talking about this has just been forever forever and ever there comes a point where where every so often some giant name in christianity people are like well turns out (laughs) and i i'm not making a comment about that per se as just our weird fascination with it now as though it's new as though Mm -hmm. it's whenever people start to to well i don't want to be careful with that i struggle when the fall of uh, prominent people, or even just when prominent people back away, um, I struggle with the way that Christian culture receives that because there's a lot of people who are very quickly into it and like let's let's talk about it till it's you know chewed up and mm-hmm. out of flavor. Like mm-hmm. let's di- let's diagram every single aspect of it. Let's analyze it to death and and maybe even take a little Pleasure joy in, in some of it. And that is. That sucks to see play out, especially, I think, when it comes to people who deconstruct their faith or people who have caused a lot of harm. Like, I don't, 
I'm never pro somebody getting dragged in public because there are other people connected for whom this thing that just happened, that was gut-wrenching and life-altering, and Mm -hmm. it is Mm -hmm. not public fodder. Like, Mm -hmm. this is not OK Magazine. This Mm -hmm. is somebody's life, and the lives of people have been impacted. The number of lives that that person has impacted, Mm -hmm. you look at that and go, well, I grew from them. I Mm -hmm. really did grow Mm -hmm. from them. Mm -hmm. What does that say about me? What does that mean about the growth that I had? Is it not real? Am I... Am I bad? We had, there was a pastor who, there was a Chicago pastor recently that some, it was very intense stuff happened. And I had a friend that was an intern at that church and they were devastated. Mm -hmm. They were like thrown into a deconstruction that they didn't want. They didn't want to deconstruct anything. They were happy with what they had, but because this person had been so influential in their life, mm-hmm. it tore them to shreds and they had to question every single thing and they ended up in this place where they were like, well, everything I know I learned from them, so I know nothing and everything I've done totally. is bad. Totally. Well, like, yeah. So there's a nuance that I wanna um, maybe try to articulate, I might get this wrong, and there's a kind of my own personal experience of that exact thing of wanting to th- burn it down or throw yeah. the baby out with bathwater. But um, I think go, I think tearing people apart in public and there, there's several that come to mind right now of people yeah. that have stepped Just into like, oh. to say, Hey, I'm, I, this is a decision I've made. This is a change I've made. Like you were saying earlier to take some responsibility for ways that they have influenced Christian culture and they've opted out. And I think the, everybody's sort of jumping on that and um, choosing to, publicly berate people is never a good thing uh there's a a nuance to that where there have been a couple of different situations related to abuse that people have gone public with for the sake of protecting other people from experiencing that and one of them i know in particular like they went to the appropriate absolutely um authorities is that the right word like they they tried to (laughs) do it they went through the privately yes well and i mean i tried to do that privately and with the proper channels and with the proper authority and then when in the situation i was connected to when that didn't happen and in fact the predator was protected it felt even more dangerous to not expose that so i just want to name the nuance of the public exposure absolutely well and see the thing and that i appreciate you bringing it up because that I don't even mean the public exposure piece of it. I mean the never-ending social media commentary that comes yes. after the fact, yeah. where everybody feels entitled to comment on every single piece of that person's life. Like, as a pastor's kid, that's not singular to mega church pastors. Yes, that is just ministry life in general. Like, someday you'll be able to talk to your kids and be like, "Hey." So what was it like for you as a pastor's kid? And they'll be like, it was bad. Here are the things <laughs> they say about you. I mean, I already hear that sometimes right. from my 10-year-old. People yeah. have these weird boundaryless attitudes when it comes to anybody in ministry and their family and the people that are close to them. That is only heightened when someone has made a mistake, which may or may not play into some of what happens when a pastor has someone that comes to them and goes, hey, I I don't think I agree with you on this thing. And they're like, I can't have made a mistake. You know, we have such a vice grip on everything and it either has to be all or nothing. Mm -hmm. So then these situations play out and it goes, okay, well, all or nothing. And if they're bad, then they're all bad. And if they're good, then they're all good. Right. And if they're right, then they're all right. If they're wrong, then they're all wrong. If they're holy, then they're all holy. If they're a heretic, then they're all a heretic. Yeah. That's the thing I wanted to make sure to circle back on is I I think some of that is like God instilled self-protection. So uh, there was a moral failure at a church years ago and a ministry was a part of, and the individual who had a moral failing 
had greatly impacted tons and tons of people on staff. And the number of conversations I sat across the table from somebody in tears saying, but that person called out my gifts Mm -hmm. and gave me permission for the first time ever to be in ministry. And since they did this one thing that they lied about, now everything they ever did or said was a lie. And I think that's like a self-protection mechanism. Like our brains want to try to protect us from that. And it's hard to hold that nuance. And to go, actually, it's possible that that person is a really good person right. and that they did a really bad thing. And because they lied to you about one thing doesn't mean that they've lied to you about everything, right? right? Like that is the nuance. People are complex. And, totally. And we don't, like to, we don't like that. Totally. It's too hard to navigate someone when there are more than one thing. The duality in people is just, it's like too much for us. Even though we want to be viewed we want, as complex. Exactly. Like we want to be. I can be complex, right. but not you. Exactly. It's like. You're hurting my um, complexity. <laughs> if I'm not different, then what's my point? <laughs> but I, 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 so there was, um, my grandfather was the pastor of a really large church in Wisconsin and. When he retired, the person that he handed things over to, it just went south very quickly, and there was some moral failure that happened. And I was, I was probably 19 or 20 at the time, in Bible college, and I was furious with my grandfather. Mm. And I was like, I don't understand. Like, how did you not know this about this person? And I remember saying to him, like, if you're so connected to God, then how did you not know that this was going to happen? How could you not have discerned that he was the wrong person for this? And everything he's done now, like every every good thing he's done, like it's it's all for not crap. Yeah. And my grandpa was like, Well, God love him. He was super calm. I'm like railing at him in my dorm room on the phone, like questioning his integrity and his his connection to God. And he was like, Well, no one said that he was the wrong person. Just because he made mistakes doesn't mean he was the wrong person. And it doesn't mean that um, I made the wrong choice after giving this to him he made his own choices i'm not responsible for those choices only he is and i went okay but still like how could you not know that like these are the choices everything he's done is bad now and 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 he said he said what about the people that he married Uh, Mm. and i said i don't know what you mean (laughs) i'm 20 and i know all the things (laughs) so what do you mean he said well what about the people that he performed weddings for are they not married now no no that's dumb (laughs) why would you ask me that that's really that's a dumb you know what? Okay, so there are things that he did that are still what they were supposed to be and still what they were intentioned as and mm-hmm. still the beautiful thing. Like, do those people have bad marriages? And I was it was such a it was such a good way to redirect my thinking into understanding that in so many ways, who we are as people really has nothing to do with how God uses us. Mm-hmm. There are a hundred times where God will use us to speak into someone and we don't have a freaking clue that we just did that for them and there are so many ways that in our imperfection God still uses the things he's given us to build something beautiful even if we're simultaneously doing something terrible the Bible is full of that it is full of people who are both doing beautiful things for God and terrible terrible people Mm -hmm. and I don't know when that shift happened where we needed people to be both perfect people and doing good things for God. But I think we lost some of the understanding of the duality that Mm -hmm. Christ created, that God created in us, that Christ actually models. Like he's the king of duality. He he was fully God and fully man. Like nobody ever had a dual nature the way that Jesus did. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) 
Well, it goes back to though that like sort of comfortable sense of like, but if I can do this, this, and this, then this is going to be my outcome. Right. And if you live for any time on this planet, you realize, oh, actually, that's not the case. Like we have that was a part of the faith tradition I was handed down. And frankly, maybe I went through deconstruction when I was like 15, and I walked away from that church because I was like, wait, you say this thing on the weekend, but this is not. You don't know what happens at my house behind closed doors. You don't know what's going on in my home. You don't know, like, th th these two things don't actually match. And this is part of what gets me really excited about, like, the, the up-and-coming generation in the church. Like, they have these deep-seated values mm -hmm. that they want to actually match the way that they live and right. the way that they spend their money and the way that they vote and the way that they shop and, you know, how what kind of car they drive. Like, that, it's a whole new... Um, way of saying I want to have this ethical lens to the way that I'm making decisions informed by a set of kingdom values that I think is you know more aligned and more calibrated than my own faith if I'm honest with you you know it's <laughs> very inspiring to see um I call it idealism I think it's a really beautiful picture of what's which to is come. so funny because the the youngest generation you know the gen what are, what letter are we gen on? Z? Gen Z. I think we're on Where gen do we Z. go next? This is Z. Yeah, that's a good one. This point. is Y2K of the generations gen right A. here. <laughs> Back to basics. They they are described as being like the most nihilistic gener generation that has been yet. Hmm. And I think that's a super interesting way to view it because I think that anytime you have someone that exists fully in an honest space, the I, the idea is that they're nihilistic or they're pessimistic or that you know they have like a gloomy and doom outlook on life but i really believe that if you the only true way to be a genuine pursuer of what is good and not just be optimistic happy all the time but a genuine pursuer of what is good is with an honest outlook mm. and so i think that with this younger generation the thing that comes with that nihilism or or whatever is is okay well this is where we are this is what it is this isn't what i want so let's let's go we're gonna do something different yeah you and you can't get there if you're not honest mm -hmm. if you are not going to be honest about how bad things are mm -hmm. you're never going to push for things to be better mm -hmm. that's not it, it ruined it puts cracks into the the shell that you've got going on so mm -hmm. you have to have that base level of honesty even if it's a dark honesty even if the truth is really really hard if mm. you can't have the truth, mm -hmm. then you can't push for better change. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So give us any piece of hope to hold on to, whether somebody who's listening to this conversation feels so seen because they're at that place right now, or they're loving somebody that's going through yeah. that place, or they're a faith leader leading a community where there are people navigating that. And, you know, we said earlier, there could be a tendency to be judgmental yeah. or to be frustrated or even have our own set of emotions. Like, what is a piece of hope navigating deconstruction of faith or deconstruction of self i think the thing that i've found the most hope in with it is um the idea of the book of psalms not necessarily the psalms themselves yeah come on but the idea of the book of psalms because i think that we approach it wrong as a church we it's like um you know do you remember the book uh, i think it was a prayer for for Jabez or Jay, do you the remember? The prayer of Jabez. Yeah, do you yeah. remember that yeah. when it was? And everyone was super into it, and everybody was reading it in their devotional times. I think we sort of approach Psalms like that, where it's just this inspiring. Um, Maybe book like of, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Yeah, also. like oh, it, and we take hope in the wrong thing. The hope that I find in the Psalms is that, because 
read through it again, not just like the parts that we put on pretty wall paintings for people. Read through the whole book. It is scary. Some mm. of the things that David or whoever is writing it, some of the things that they say are horrifying. Before the Lord. Yeah. Yes. Or like petitioning the Lord, like, help me murder those, you know, what? like it it gets yeah. real dark. Yeah. And 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 some of the the like despair elements of it are are gut wrenching and mm. and 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 again very scary stuff. And so the hope that I find in that is, man, there is just nothing that you can't bring before God. There mm. is no feeling that's too dark or too big or too scary or too doubt filled to bring before God mm. that He would not still take it and not be mad at you about it and not sit in it with you. If you feel like God is upset because you're doubting or because someone you care about is doubting or deconstructing, that makes God so small. Like it just makes him so small mm -hmm. that he would be offended. I'm offended. He can handle it, man. Like he, if you truly believe that he is the God of all creation, mm. he built you. He, the very process by which you are evaluating what you believe, he built that in you. Mm. That's crazy to think that he would ever be upset with us for engaging a process that he instilled in us. Mm -hmm. That is mm -hmm. not how creators work. Mm -hmm. When your creation does the thing it was designed to do, you're happy about it. Mm -hmm. You're into it. And when someone that you care about is laboring under something or, or burdened by something, you're sad with them. You, you are burdened with them. Mm -hmm. So the thing that I find hope with is that the Psalms teach us that literally anything we can take to God and he'll sit in it with us. He's, he's down to be like, yeah, okay. Feel, feel your feels, man. That mm -hmm. <laughs> I gave you that system to do that with go for it. And I, I think there's so much hope in that because I think we tend to push people through those processes to like get back to quote God honoring thoughts. Mm -hmm. And we take verses like whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is mm -hmm. no noble, whatever is holy. Think about these things. And we act like thinking about anything else is somehow a sin but God built us with the capacity to have those thoughts and built us with the capacity to navigate those things. How can it be a sin to do the thing God built in us to mm, do? So good. And so I, that's where I find hope in a personal deconstruction process and, and just with other people as they deconstruct. Like Deconstructing doesn't mean you don't love God. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean God doesn't love you. It means that you are engaging the mental and emotional process that God built you with. And there is honor in that. Yeah. Thank you so much yeah. for Thank sharing you. with us, engaging Thanks, in this You're conversation. Welcome. Bring you can't in your see wisdom. I keep, do I keep doing <laughs> this things. This isn't a video. <laughs> but we should turn it into one just to so capture much animation. all the animation. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, thank you. Thank you for sharing uh, all of these things. Super helpful, uh, very timely. I mean, all of these conversations right now in culture. So it's encouraging too. I mean, I, I as we're closing up too, I, I thought I, I, it's so crazy. I was literally thinking last night I was on the plane on my way here and I don't even remember necessarily the doubt that popped in my head, but it was a pretty extreme one. And it was it <gasps> on was, a plane. <laughs> that can happen. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it was one of those like shake you to the core of, oh, if you chose to I, go down that road. Oh, I didn't know that that was a thing I might have thought. I didn't know that I had a doubt like that. And I just thought really quickly what was inside of me from my, you know, from my youth and childhood being raised and whatever I was handed. The quick re knee jerk reaction was, whoa, don't go there. Don't yeah. chase that down. Put that away. 
But then I thought, well, hold on. Where was that hiding? And when did I put that there originally? <laughs> that it now popped up and in a vulnerable moment. And underneath it. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, but then it just came to where I started, <coughs> excuse me, where I started thinking through it. I mean, I also, like I said, I had no Wi-Fi on this plane. It was a very boring four-hour flight. So oh I had gosh. to figure out something to do. So then I began to just engage <laughs> this thought. And it was like, wow, yeah, God, you can handle this. And yeah. even if I don't get the answer to this right now because I asked you this question, that's still okay, too. I want to outline, even through all this stuff that we've talked about today, with the deconstruction, with these questions, time yeah. is not something that we're used to. It's not something that we're in right now where we have to wait. We had this earlier today, <laughs> this conversation. Waiting and choosing to endure through something is just not something we have to do in no. culture. But that's what you have to do to get anything good, to get that's anything true. worthwhile. So I also think we do that to ourselves a little bit, too. We have a thought, and we immediately put it out into the world, usually via the internet somehow. Yeah. And it's not fully formed. We haven't given ourselves the mm-hmm. time and space to sit in it and, and let it um, fully unfold. Uh, we, we haven't excavated it. And then all of a sudden, we're like, oh, oh wait. Do I have to defend this I now? think <laughs> I think I, I think that wasn't all the way what I thought. Maybe I shouldn't mm. verbally process on Twitter. <laughs> and so I, yeah, but I do, I don't think that's not, look, man, I, I actually, I love a good Twitter rant. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm I love sure a good Twitter rant. But usually they're about things like, like there's a movie coming out today and I think, or not today, in a, a little bit. And I think I went on a Twitter rant like this movie better this, that like, I, I do love a good Twitter rant, but there are some things that just don't belong on the internet. Totally. And and I think that goes back to having community. What a revolutionary idea. What? Guess what? You don't have to be Facebook friends with every person you've casually met in your entire life. Wow. You're allowed to decline that friend request and not care on, what they think about you. What about every injustice that's happening? Do mm. we have to speak on every yeah, one of them? Yeah, you have to care to about all, a, every single one of them. Or the to exact say something. <laughs> you may not actually be doing anything if you don't say something. I mean, that's yeah. the other piece of it, right? Like, Do the, you even care if you don't post about it on social media? Right. Anyway, you talked yeah. about the time. <laughs> That's a whole other rabbit trail. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Social that media, was my fault. a theology of suffering. I mean, I hear you talking about something that you were wrestling with or a doubt that you had. Like, that's not something we have ever talked about in a church that I've been a part of. Yeah. But like the actual theology of suffering and and what Jesus Christ modeled for us yeah. and what does it look like to live with a thorn mm. that may never go away. I mean, mm. there's so many topics that I, I wish that was taught you, on more because I want to well, <laughs> just use that as a rational, evaluate like who is a safe place to have those conversations with and who some of us are verbal processors. And so that's the importance of community. Exactly. Yeah. Lear, but learning how learning, cause here's the thing. Let's be really honest. Okay. Now we're going to be ruthless. Really <laughs> ruthless. Where, before, where were we yeah. before? before we were just pretending. Now Buckle up. Honest. Buckle up. No. If we're really, really honest, church community is a fickle beast at best. And I have this conversation with my husband all the time about like, quote unquote, God's will and how, okay, like what is God's will for me? And I'm like, okay, but how many people does it take to act on God's will for God's will to be enacted? Like if you're, if God's will for you is to walk into this room, but I'm already in this room with the door locked and you knock on the door and I don't answer it, where's God's will leave us then? Because if I'm not engaging it, but you are trying to, so what? God's will is just over then? Like I'm, I'm that powerful that I was like, no, God's will. So when that comes to community, God has such a specific design and heart for community 
But the more people you get involved in that, the harder that can be because to have it be something that's healthy requires a level of rigorous honesty that isn't always present for everybody. So is every church community acting out God's design and plan for church community? No, no, it's not. No, it's not. Or any of it. And so it, I do, like, it is, I, I'm like, hold on, don't just sit, be like, go talk about it in your church community. Because I have been in situations where I've done that, and then I get a call from the pastor who's like, can you come in and talk? And I'm like, yeah, great. And then I sit down, and they're like, okay, here's all the ways that you, what you did was bad. And I'm like, oh, I just, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, is this not where we talk about God and where we're, no. I just believe what you say. Okay, got it, noted. Thank you. Mm. Not every church community situation is a safe space to talk about these things. And it, it would be a disservice to pretend like it was. Some people, based on the tradition that they're in, some people based on the personality types that they're in community with, and some people based around geographical area. Like, if we're being honest, right now where we are, we're at the tip of the Bible Belt. Like, there are churches all around us that would be like, I'm sorry, what did you question? What did you just say? learning how to discern where a safe place to process things out is so important and it's something that I do think churches should be talking about a Mm -hmm. because it helps lead all of us towards being that safe space but b it helps create that safe space and the tools for someone to recognize that space I know the word safe spaces is kind of whatever now but I just think it's important I think I've I've fallen into the trap of assuming something was safe just because it was Christian and that is just risky unfortunately that mm-hmm. sucks but mm-hmm. it's just the truth yeah and you know we talked about we'd like barely scratched the surface on this earlier of ho- being able to hold that space how do you create safety right and I think maybe that goes back to the love piece that you talked about earlier like I, I am gonna love you whether we agree, agree on right. this or not and there are like actual practical tangible things that we can do to create safety and I think the wisdom I hear you saying now is there are things that we should look for that help us discern if this is a safe space or not and personally I have found that to be even trickier when you're in leadership because then does that point to if I'm wrestling with this or questioning this well is everybody else here thinking wherever I land is the right thing because like or are they thinking like oh why are we taking leadership cues from someone that has a question that feels weird yes Right, which if we're honest, if we're taking cues from anybody, <laughs> it hopefully is somebody that's questioning, but that's not something, you know, we, we met with a couple of younger pastors um, in New York, and the number of them that said, if I ever get to a place that I'm not leading from my brokenness, if I ever get to a place that I'm leading from needing to be the person with all the answers, I should stop leading. Mm-hmm. I should stop pastoring a congregation. And so it was really inspiring to me to see like, oh, those are the kinds of leaders I want to follow, not necessarily the kinds of leaders that I have seen prominently lead in the church in the past. And so it was very hope-filled to see leaders be willing to wrestle with that. And I hope we're able to continue to invite people into that. Hey, thanks so much for joining us here at a Third Way podcast. Uh, great conversation with Abby. We're so grateful for her to be willing to come and share and even be um, vulnerable about parts of her journey. I hope that you are inspired uh, to explore for your own life and for your own faith what uh, commitment to rigorous honesty 
really looks like. And we're excited to dive in here again with you soon. Uh, A Third Way podcast is a ministry of New Ground Network, and we are unbelievably grateful for just this mix of kingdom-minded, diverse leaders in the church, and can't wait to dive into another conversation with you back here soon.